Today's episode has me sharing the story of a friend I've known for about a year and a half. I met her at Million Dollar Mastermind a year and a half ago and here in Dallas. She's from Michigan, and she is a businesswoman, first and foremost, but she's also an advocate for the wrongfully convicted. And it hits home with her because her fiancé is doing time in prison and has been wrongfully convicted, and they're in the process of trying to get him exonerated and proved his innocence. Today we do a background check on Jennifer Gross. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey everyone, welcome to Background Check Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Gum, and we believe that your background shouldn't hold you back, it should pay you back. Brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. And I tell you what, I am on a high today because I uh, spent most of the day yesterday at the Kyle unit. And it's been, I guess, since last fall, since I've been back in. And so I was really jonesing to go back in, fiending. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not addicted to drugs and alcohol anymore, but, man, I'm addicted to going back in and sharing my story of hope in Jesus Christ. And when I I don't get to do that as often as uh, I used to because of COVID. And uh, COVID really strained a lot of the the ministries and volunteers and the way they did things and different, you know, I, I love to go in with the bigger ministries that, you know, could take the counselors in cell to cell. But I still like to go in with the other ministries that just kind of, um, you know, have classes and stuff. So anyway, I was invited, man, by Chaz, my good friend. Uh, Chaz, I met him on the Hughes unit when he was running the faith-based basketball tournaments and had the San Antonio Spurs involved. And and I tell you, man, I got to hang out with him and his class that he teaches at the Kyle unit. It's a FI5 program. And he has a class that he teaches, um, and it's called Pillars. And he just teaches them about reentry and being pillars of society, leadership. And so I got to go in and watch him present certificates to people and edify and encourage people and, and hear the impact that his class is making, but also hear the impact that the inmates have on each other. And just incredible, you know, got to meet some some new friends that are going to be coming back to the Dallas area and getting in touch with us, and and uh, it was just amazing. I loved it. And then he let me share a little bit, so I got to speak life into those guys. But we also recorded an episode with Chaz. Thank you to Warden Luna at the Kyle Unit and um, for allowing that to happen, making that happen. i tell you what, working with the warden there and uh, his assistant, Sarah, has was just a dream. I wish every unit had uh, a warden and, and a executive assistant like like them it's it's incredible so uh i was treated with i mean the utmost respect and so welcoming and so we we got to record uh chaz's story and it's an incredible one uh it's not going to be this episode uh, all you kyle guys uh gotta wait a few weeks 
but it'll it'll be coming out because we want to get all the pictures and stuff back in that we took. And uh, so, but it's an incredible story. You don't want to hear it. And Kyle guys, you Kyle guys uh, in the FI5 program, Pillars, man, I enjoyed. It was an honor to meet you guys. I mean, I was 16 years ago, 16 and a half years ago, I was sitting right where you are, not at that unit, but waiting to get out, wondering what's what's next. And so I, I enjoyed getting to know you guys, meeting every one of you and speaking into your life and, and breaking bread, eating some some cake and cookies with you. And uh, and then, man, at the end, you know, I enjoyed just the hangout time uh, during count time. You know, we got stuck in count. It's, it's always you know, we didn't get stuck in count. We got we had a divine appointment during count. And um, so Chaz and all you other guys that I got to meet yesterday, uh, thank you for letting me just be a part of you guys and hanging out. And I can't wait to see what all of you do out here in the world. You're gonna you're gonna change the world. And Chaz, your 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 time's coming too, bud. Your time's coming. They can't keep you in there forever. They can't keep you in there forever. And uh in God's perfect time, you're gonna be out here changing the world like you've been changing. I think the devil might open the door for you because the devil's getting tired of what Chaz is doing in prison. <laughs> the devil might just say, come on, man, get out of there. I can't, I can't take what you're doing in here anymore for the kingdom of God. So, but anyway, uh, thanks again to the Kyle unit for welcoming me and, and just letting me have a good time there. Uh, I love going back in and, and meeting, meeting great men who made, who made bad choices at one time. So, um, I'm looking forward to going back. I think I'm going to go back. He, um, uh, I can't, I can't, can't talk about everything that happened because I want to talk it, talk about it mostly on the episode that we're gonna air with with uh, Chaz. So, but anyway, I had a great time. Uh, I don't know if I have any more announcements, but I want to give a shout out to. Uh, oh man, I don't even know what I did with it. I'm gonna have to do it on the next episode. But I got, I got something from uh, I think a reverend in Arizona. Uh, all you people in Arizona. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for giving us a shout out. Um, somebody wrote in from Connecticut. I don't remember the names. I just remember the places that wrote in. Somebody wrote in from Connecticut wanting more information about uh, the episode that we had working with the warden and Cornbread Hustle. So uh, thank you guys. Uh, usually I have them sitting in a pile, but I got in late last night from the Kyle unit, and I, I don't know what I do with my pile, but I remember where we got them from. So. Anyway, thank you, uh, Mr. Hardy, uh, Hardy, Rudy, Mr. Rudy, Gary Rudy in Arizona. Thank you. Uh, I don't have time to respond to all your stuff, but thank you, man. Uh, thank you for the book, and uh, that book's going to be a success, man. So, okay, before we get into the show, I want to tell you about, once again, our um, show sponsor, our episode sponsor, Rob, Rob Price with RP Media. Oh, I can't say enough about this guy. And listen, if you want to see... If you want to see his work, uh, the best work was is the Forgiven Felons documentary. Go to Tubi TV, Roku channel, uh, the Roku TV, or uh, on YouTube, the Christian Movie Channel, our Forgiven Felons documentary series, which he is the executive producer. All the post-production, I mean, he's just incredible, incredible. Uh, he, RP Media is a full-service video production business specializing in documentary, corporate video promos, educational training videos, podcasting, and they even do some small uh, digital media studio design equipment build out. Rob's got more than 25 years uh, experience in media industry, including former CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, uh, screenwriter, producer, author, blood co- author of the book called Blood Covenant, 
uh, church media pastor and digital media arts college professor. I've known him for 16 years since I got out of prison. I used to coach his his daughter in Bible quiz. Um, just good friends of the family. So if you want anything done, uh, video, podcast, all that stuff, contact him at 214-354-6364. 214-354-6364. Or you can email him at robprice6. That's R-O-B-P-R-I-C-E, the number six, at gmail.com. All right? So... Um, yeah, give him a call. And if you mentioned that you heard it on Background Chuck Podcast, you'll get five percent off whatever you whatever you do with him, all right? Through through um twenty twenty two. All right. So tell him tell him that uh you heard it on here. All right. All right, well, uh today's oh guys, next week uh we got a, a, an amazing Father's Day episode coming up. You thought last year's go back and listen to last year's Father's Day episode. This year's gonna be even as much as or more amazing. So uh, love you guys, and um, let's get to this interview now. This, this lady, her name is Jennifer Gross. She's an amazing woman, a businesswoman, incredible businesswoman, uh, but she also has a story of advocating for wrongful, wrongfully convicted inmates. Um, and that, that stems from, uh, you know, her fiancé being wrongfully convicted. So I met her about a year and a half ago at a mastermind here in Dallas, and she came up and saw my shirt, I think, or somebody somebody she was with saw my shirt, and she started talking. And anyway, we've become social media friends, and uh, I've been trying to get her on the podcast for a while now, and the scheduling just hasn't worked. And so, um, anyway, we finally got her on, and uh, she is passionate about advocating for the wrongfully convicted, and uh, and I love I love hearing that because there's not enough people out there that are advocating for the people that are in prison that are innocent. There's quite a few of them. So uh, she's a realtor. She's, um, I think she has multiple businesses, but just I enjoyed sitting with her. We talked for about an hour. And so um, here's the interview with Jennifer Gross. Jennifer Gross, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Hey, how are you? Man, it's, uh, this has been a long time coming. Yeah. I mean, we met, we met, we met, uh, over a year ago mm-hmm. here in Dallas at a million dollar mastermind. And, uh, we're both trying to make ourselves better through knowledge. And, uh, I think maybe was it, was it the shirt? Did you, did you did I have a shirt on like the one I have on? Keep calm. I'm forgiven felon. Yep. You, did, had, we- you had a shirt on and then there was somebody else who was with you. Maybe his name was Ty. Twan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was with you. And I like saw you in the crowd and who I was with, my friend Brandon, I remember he started talking to you, I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes later, and I caught a peek of you guys, and I like raced over, because I wanted to learn I about think, you. I think uh-huh. the, the shirt I had on was probably the Background Check podcast shirt, because on the back, it said, your background shouldn't hold you back, it should pay you back. Right. And uh, and I, so many people love the shirt, and so I can't remember if that's how we we connected, but uh, I'm glad we did. We've connected even more on social uh, media, Instagram, and I've gotten to know a little bit of your story. And we've had a bunch of scheduling conflict. And, and of course, I moved from one house, sold one house, and moved to another. And then it's just been it was been a crazy year. And uh, yeah. and so, but I'm glad we finally got you on because I want to hear the full story. Uh, I want to hear your story, your love story the uh advocacy advocacy story 
and <laughs> what, what you're doing and uh, and be able to share it. it um, I don't know if I told you, but I think since last year we met, I don't, I may have, I may have updated you, but now our podcast uh, is in addition to the following we already have, which has been growing like crazy. Uh, we, we air on inmates tablets in prisons and jails across the nation. That, so, see, that's awesome. So uh, uh, we're, and I'm and we're on the largest, which is Securus. We're on the largest. Um, so I don't know what, I don't know what the Michigan inmates, if they have tablets, you know, and who they use, but we're also trying to get in with some other uh, tablet companies so we can have a broader reach. So, so you're going to be, um, and, and some of our wrongful conviction episodes have just really mo- uh, inspired and encouraged inmates who have been wrongly, wrongfully convicted, um, and, and it gives them hope. So hopefully today uh, we get to spread a little hope. As long as it touches one soul, that's all that matters. That's right. That's, all. that's right. So Jennifer, tell us who you are now, what you do, and uh, and a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you grew up and 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 uh you know just a little bit about yourself okay so about me i'm 46 i am a real estate broker uh mom of three very large they're older beautiful children and then i'm a grandma of one i have a very sassy four-year-old granddaughter (laughs) who is the apple of my eye um i my background is kind of sketchy it's I'm not the same person I was, you know, back when I was 15, I come from a background of addiction and, um, rehabilitation and, um, I am also a victim of sexual assault. Okay. And so I have a little bit of everything. I'm, um, an abuse relationship abuse victim. You know, I've been married and divorced and I've pretty much kind of almost touched every railroad track of every bump that people talk about in life. Um, and so now I try to stand up for what I know is right. And at the point of my life I'm at right now, like I don't really care what people think about me. If I know that it's right, I'm going to voice about it and you either listen or you don't, you form your own opinion. And if you don't like me, you know, I've fired vendors who have, came to me because of my social media presence and have said, I can't believe that you put Rob's picture up there and his Otis picture, he's in prison. And I can't believe that you would do that. And I look at them in the face and I say, if people want to work for me or work with me, because I advocate to get him out because he is in there for something he did not do, then I don't want to work with those people anyway. They can go work with somebody else. Cause who are you to judge me? Yeah. Um, So, so uh, you, you've grown up, did you, when, when did you first get into any kind of uh, trouble? I know, maybe not with the law or anything, but start doing drugs, alcohol, any of that. Did that have a, did that play a part in your past? Yeah. So um, I started smoking when I was 12 with my brother and um, uh, my biological mother used to hang out with a motorcycle club, which these guys are awesome. They're great. I still talk to them. Some of them who are still around, but she was a raging alcoholic. And I used to, when I was younger, I would go to work with her. She was a bartender and I would watch her do cocaine off the back of toilet seats. And I would be up till four o'clock in the morning, you know, drinking soda or whatever and playing Pac-Man and popping quarters in the jukebox. And she uh, got me drunk first time I was eight Wow. um, at the bar that she was working at and had me dancing on a pool table for everybody that was on the inside. 
Wow. So that's kind of where, you know, where I come from. And it stemmed from there. I was smoking cigarettes. I started smoking weed. Um, I started to indulge in cocaine when I was working in the bars myself. Um, for a very long time, ecstasy was my drug of choice. Okay. Um, so, you know, I advocate to the younger generation, like I'm the poster child for not doing any of those things. I have issues now sometimes, like I'll be in mid conversation with my kids and I can't remember what I'm talking about. And I know what it's from. Yeah. Not being able to remember like normal words, like, you know, box or I'm like, you know, the thing, that one thing, sister, you know, the, she's like, you put the, she's like, mom, it's a, it's a toaster. Like you, <laughs> you put the bread in the toaster and I know what it's from and I laugh about it, but it's, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. When I finally decided to get clean, I did it the hard way and mm. I went completely cold Turkey, almost wow. died. Wow. But did you have to, did I, you have to be committed anywhere or? Wow, nope. did it on your own. That's so, I, that's so admirable. I went, um, I, I gave uh, temporary parental rights to my parents because I didn't want my kids and I knew that I wasn't okay. Yeah. And then, you know, I showed up one day and I, I, I woke up, actually woke up one morning and the one person in the world I did not want to be was my biological mother. Yeah. And I woke up one day and I had a beer in my hand and there was a plate of cocaine on the night side table. I hadn't seen my kids in four days. I walked into the bathroom, I looked in the mirror, and that's the only thing I saw. It crushed my soul. Mm. And that was when I decided to get clean. Wow. So, but I lost, uh, I lost a lot of my kid's life because of it. Yeah. So now I'm kind of out there with a loud voice and say, hey, you may think it's like this, but it's not. It's really like this. And time is the only thing that you can't get back. It's true. That's true. So you need to focus on the people that you love and what you have going on, not what you think is fun and what passes the time. Yeah. How's your relationship with your kids? It's great. It's great now. You know, it's, uh, it took a really long time to get where it's at. Um, it took a lot of explaining, um, explaining, you know, at one point, um, my daughter just thought that I didn't love her, that I didn't want her. Sorry, I'm going to get a little emotional, That's all right. <laughs> but, uh, it was a it was a really hard conversation to explain to her that I did those things not because it was fun for me, but because I was trying to deal with the pain, the hard personal work, the rape, the yeah. abuse, the you know the you know my biological mother getting me drunk at eight years old. Like you know, it's and until those, you those, can do yeah yeah those things those things leave a scar that it it's hard to go away. It's hard yeah. to, it's hard to, you know, form mindsets and, and, and perspectives without adding that into as a filter. Right. And, uh, and, and so when, when do your kids, you think understood that sometimes the way you were was because of things that happened to you as a kid? Um, so they didn't really like I said, they didn't see me like high or drunk. I always right. did it when they weren't home. So I would go for days without seeing them. And it was explaining to them like why it was that way. So my daughter and my granddaughter and my soon to be son-in-law live with me now. Um, my oldest, he's been, he's been the back. He's been with me since, you know, day one, it took a lot. It took years and years 
and years of conversations of explaining to him like, no, I do love you. And I'm very proud of who you are today. And these, this is why mom was the way that she was. And I gave you to Nana and Papa because I didn't want you to deal with, because who knows what you're going to do when you're that high. You don't right. know. Right. And if anything ever happened to them, I would never be, I would never been able to forgive myself. At least I was smart enough to know that they weren't safe with me. That's true. That's true. Uh, so I know, you know, you mentioned divorce and I know you're married to Robert right now. So let's well, we're talk- engaged. We're not technically oh, married. Okay. Engaged. Engaged. Sorry. <laughs> um, how did you meet Robert? And let's start, let's start here in that story. So I've known him literally forever. Um, like, like from what high school? Like we used to run in the same social circles, but okay. like we never really kind of connected because he's four years older than me. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but we would pass each other. Does that make sense to you? Gotcha. Like you okay. do of each other. Yes. So, um, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, we, and then we were friends and then he was gone for a very long time and I, I knew what was going on, but I started to date one of the co-defendants of his case. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then we reconnected there and he, he called me sister for years. He Wait, was my brother. When you started dating one of his co-defendants, what was his co-defendant's status? Was he in prison or was he? No, he was jail? out. He was out on he bond. Walked. No, oh, he so walked. He walked. All right. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, he walked on that charge. Now he had done some time in and out, but that, and that's how we reconnected and we would JPay back and forth and we would talk on the phone and, and he sister this and brother that, and, you know, it was just, it was, it was like not, no time had, had passed. Like we were just like here. Um, and then about two and a half years ago, our relationship flipped. He called me one day and I want to say it was in June. And was just like, I love you. And I was like, I love you too, brother. And he was like, no, I'm in love with you. And I looked at the phone and I looked at my daughter and she was like, what's wrong? Is he okay? And I'm like, I didn't know what to do. (laughs) I thought, I'm like, it is not April Fool's. Like what is going on? And he was like, I've been in love with you for a very long time. And I just needed to tell you. So we took a couple of days, took a couple of days to like try and figure out what was going on. What were, you, then, what were your immediate thoughts? Um, at first I thought he was kidding. Cause we, I mean, we joke and we would, I, I, I know all of the bad stuff he's done. Jay, <laughs> I know all of the, you know, prison inmate.com girls that he was talking to on JPay. I mean, he calls it rentaconvict.com. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I knew everything and I'm like, seriously, what is really happening right now? And I realized that he was 100% serious. He's like, I just can't go through life anymore without telling you how I really feel about you. And now how long ago was all that? About two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, okay, we're going to do this. All right. We're going to do this. Okay. We're going to do this. And we kept it quiet for a little bit because he was worried about the aftermath that would happen with me because yeah. of my business and like, um, everything that I have going on out here. And then he proposed to me. So then I started looking through because I knew the facts of his case. Right. But I was like, if we're going to do this, then I need to see like, what is really going on? What am I walking into? Because it's not just me that's walking into this situation. I have children too. And I have a grandbaby and I need to see what's. Well, let's talk about that. 
So I know you said you, you kind of shielded it from everybody for a little while. Uh, when did you start bringing your family into it? Your parents, your, your kids. So my daughter always knew what was going on. Um, and I told her, I'm like, listen, if her, him and I are going to have a relationship like this and we're going to be together as a couple, then I need to know everything that's happened. I'm going to read through every single piece of testimony. I'm going to research on the internet. I need to see every case that he has going on because let's face it. Not everybody's honest about everything. True. Everybody lies about something. True. So I needed to know what was going on. And as I started to read the testimony, because I have all the trial transcripts, I have everything. I was blown away by the lies that I had actually believed from dating his co-defendant. Wow. And Rob is not, um, Rob's not a snitch. Like he's not going to say, hey, that's not right. It's really like this. And we still talk about it to the same, like, why didn't you ever say anything to me? And he was like, Were you, would you ever really believe me? I'm in prison. I knew that you weren't going to believe me until you actually saw it for yourself. Um, and that's most people's mindset. True. So when I saw what was really going on, I sat down with my kids. I said, listen, here's the thing. He was convicted of first degree felony murder. This is why it's not true. And because it was all factual, it was all in court testimony. It's all in court documents. They were blown away even more than I was. So I don't think that him and I started talking to my parents about it until maybe we were a, maybe a year in and it wasn't because of me. He didn't like my mom wants to go up to Kinross and the UP, which is where he's at to see him and he won't let her. And I get it. I totally understand. Um, but he's embarrassed and it makes him feel horrible that, you know, he's sitting in there and I'm out here and he doesn't want my parents to meet him while he's in his state blues. Yeah. You know, and it, you know and it's a different mindset for somebody who's, who's guilty and in prison. It's different with them than it is with somebody who's innocent and in prison. Right. Because the innocent person already knows they shouldn't be there and they don't want this stigma of being an inmate to be held over them, even while they're in prison. And, and that's hard. That's hard to shed. I mean, I've, I've got exonerees that are friends of mine here in Texas. I mean, I'm good friends with five or six of them. And, and I know, uh, especially the two that have been on Richard miles and Jeff uh, Deskovic, who's from New York, Jeffrey, man, he he's tried to date. Now Richard got married, so he, and he's doing great. But Jeffrey tried to date, and he said he's he's had a hard time, even with people knowing him, knowing he's innocent. Yeah, he said one lady just is just like, this is how my all my future relationships. I don't know if they're going to go like this. He said, but she just, even though she knows I'm innocent, she looked at me and said, I can't get past the the fact that I'm dating somebody who's been in prison. Period. Whether you're innocent or not. And, and he was just blown away by that. And so, I, you know, I understand him maintaining his innocence and not still not wanting somebody to see him in that, in that manner. I get it. Well, I mean, because as children, like we're taught that all police are good. Everybody in prison is bad. Um, whatever they're in prison for, they did. They deserve to be punished. Deserve it. Yep. And as you get older, um, and I know that we talked about this a little bit before, like, unless you have somebody on the inside, you don't really know what happens. So 
all you see is what the media plasters all over the place and look, these guys are animals and these women are animals and they don't need to be released and look at all this crazy stuff that they're doing, but they don't show you what's been happening and for how long it's been happening before somebody finally snapped. Right. So, you know, you're brainwashed to think that everybody that's in there is guilty. Well, look at, see, oh my gosh, and why would any laws change if nobody knows any different? Right. Which now, is why I'm out um, here screaming on a megaphone. Now, I have, a, I have a friend, uh, I have a, and we got pictures of that too. I, I will we'll post that on the, on the show page. So uh, I have a friend, Pr- Priscilla Bordeo. She is, uh, she works on, I can't remember the, the name of the organization, something about crime and safety, um, national crime and safety, something. Um, but she advocates for the victim, victims of sexual abuse, but she also advocates for the perpetrator to get okay. the proper rehabilitation. And, and she usually deals with people that are guilty. But she advocates, um, you know, in general, you know, like I said, she's a good friend. Before she moved back to Michigan, she was here in Texas. And, you know, and she's called me a couple of times and is like, you know, wanting to know about men and women when they get out of prison, what, what life is like, you know. And because not, not too many people realize how bad it is, even for innocent people. Right. You know, um, if you're in a state that if you get out and you're innocent and you're in a state that has zero compensation, you know, Texas has decent conversation, uh, compensation. I still don't think it's enough. Michigan, I think is 50,000 per year. Uh, yep. That's not, that's not enough. Um, some States have none zero, you know, that's I think crazy o- to me. I think Oklahoma has a one time, one time thing of like $50,000 and that's it. You know, like that's all you get. And so, I think that if compensate compensation were heavier and if there was the ability to hold prosecutors and, and detectives accountable for their misactions, even years later, I mean, if I knew that there's a chance 20 years from now that this guy is going to be proven innocent, that I just put away because of my wrongdoing. If I knew there was a chance 20 years ago that I was still going to be held accountable for it. I would think, I would think twice about doing it. But right now, there's no account. There's no potential accountability for anybody that helps put people away wrongfully convicted. Zero in any so state. I um, I've done some interviews with like the Associated Press, the Marshall Project. I've had a conversation with like CNN, um, and and I tell all of them, I say the exact same thing. As a real estate agent broker, I have to have errors and emissions insurance. So if I screw up, one of my people screw up, that insurance is there to take care of the issue. Why don't prosecutors, judges, what you should have some sort of errors and emissions insurance. And if you had to pay for that, again, you would think twice about what you're doing. You would think twice about opening your mouth and saying X, Y, and Z, this person or leading the jury to believe that this person is guilty when you know in that they're not and you're just trying to get another conviction underneath your belt you know um when it comes to like rob's case there's so (laughs) there's so much that's wrong with it like even the ballistics guy who his name is david pouch who did ballistics on rob's case he single-handedly had the detroit forensics unit shut down and taken over by the michigan uh, state police department because he was tampering with evidence mm. now if if you had to pay money to make sure that you were doing your job correctly you you wouldn't 
you wouldn't be hiding right now because that's where he's at. He's hiding. It's been proven in numerous cases that that's what he did. And I, when I say tampering, I mean grabbing mom's gun, shooting bullets out of it, and switching the casings from what was at the crime scene to mm. mom's, so mm. that you have that that person has to do time. It's crazy. It's crazy. And if you know, and and the the craziest thing about it to me is that it's so easy to put somebody away wrongfully and so difficult mm -hmm. to get that overturned it's like and, 45 minutes to convict you and decades to get you out yep and i mean even after there's been recantation of witnesses that were coerced to give false witness all they have to do is is say okay well this witness they're recanting what they originally so were they were they lying then or are they lying now and then they 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 make that that witness that was coerced in the beginning making they make him look out to be a liar you know and, and discredit them when they were the ones that were the reason that these people got put away and and i mean there's a book by um uh, jim mccloskey called when the truth is all you have he's the uh founder of um uh centurion which was started back in the early 80s i think early 80s uh wrongful he was a wrongful conviction you know kind of like the innocence project but um they they were doing every cases even even you know non-dna and uh and so my friend richard miles was you know set free by one of them but when the truth is all you have is a book that just goes through a lot of the cases and there's some that like ben spencer here in dallas there's some that the person that was killed and they framed him, the person that was killed was part of a high affluent political family here in Dallas. And that's why it was so hard to get his case. Even after a judge two years ago said, we find you actually innocent. They couldn't get him out of prison. They couldn't get him back to, to jail uh, because of the affluent influential power of this family still. And it's just crazy. You know, it's crazy to me how uh, Richard Miles, he, he calls it the criminal legal system because he says, I, I stopped calling it the criminal justice system because there's, right. there's no justice in it. Nope. So, uh, and I said, well, there, there ain't much legal in it either. <laughs> They're doing a lot of illegal stuff, but, um, but so, so where, where are you at with, with Robert's case and, and uh, give us an update and tell us everything you're doing to try to bring awareness and attention to not just Robert in his case, but to, you know, the whole culture and family of wrongful conviction people. Um, okay, so the Conviction Integrity Unit here uh, in Wayne County, actually, they have his case. They've had it for two years now, and they're actively investigating it. Um, I hired an attorney out of, a federal attorney out of Georgia. His name is James. Um, he, and the difference between him and every other attorney that Rob has had is James is actually a wrongful conviction. He did federal time. Nice. So he knows what it's like to be yeah, on the inside. Yeah. And I actually found him. It was very strange. I found him on social media. We kind of connected. Um, I felt a little leery about the situation because who, what kind of attorney, like it was, it's a very strange situation. And time kind of lapsed. And then I started talking to him again. And he was like, his first sentence was, Jennifer, are you sure he's innocent? And I said, let me send you the vast amount of information that I have. You look at it, 
you tell me what you think. About a week went by, he called me, he said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Mm. Um, Rob's case, it starts with the very beginning of it is, you know, there was never an arrest warrant that was signed by a judge. His arrest was based on a third party hearsay anonymous tip from a guy who had been drinking at a bar all night. And the fact that the getaway car was registered to his family member. Mm. Um, Eyewitness, there's no gun. It's murder. So he was convicted of first degree felony murder, which felony murder was abolished in Michigan in 1980. So it's still very much around, but per the laws, right? It's not a law. So at the most, it should have been first degree murder. Um, In order to be first degree murder, there has to be premeditation. There was no premeditation. So then again, at the very most, it should have been second degree, right? Okay. So let's go back to his case. Um, There's no gun. None of the eyewitnesses saw the shooter. They just saw a white man run from the victim's car to the getaway car. They said that the man who was running was 5'8 to 5'9 with long sandy brown hair and a medium build. Rob is 6'3. They call him Bones in prison. He weighs like 155 pounds with jeans on and his hair is jet black. He was like that then. The description of the shooter is a co-defendant who was already out on a $50,000 cash bond intent to do great bodily harm and a felony firearms charge. Uh, I'm sorry, a $50,000 cash bond intent to do great bodily harm less than murder and Mm. a felony firearms charge when he caught the case with Rob and did less than 15 years for both charges. Wow. The other co-defendant walked. Um, And so that's kind of like where it starts. And as you start to read it, you're like, this is crazy. Um, There was a fight that broke out in front of the jury, which should have been a mistrial right there, right? Nope. Um, They did not let him face the jury. And I actually, his attorney was like, Jennifer, how do you know that he was facing his attorney and he wasn't facing the jury? Like I said, because there's an officer who's on the stand who describes him by the back of his head. How would he describe him by the back of his head if he was turning around facing him? He was like, you can't do that. One of your constitutional rights is to be able to face your accuser, Yeah. right? Okay, so his attorney told him not to take his plea deal that the most they had him on was aiding and abetting because there's no evidence. But then in the jury instructions, after Rob listened to his, I mean, he's 20 years old, he's, he's facing a murder charge. You think that your attorney is supposed to do what they say they're gonna do for you. Yeah. So after he agreed to do this, his, in the jury instructions, his attorney took aiding and abetting off the table. Mm. So the jury didn't even hear it. Wow. Yeah. Was this um, a, a court-appointed attorney or a paid attorney? Or? No, it's a paid. It was a paid attorney. Wow. Who is now head of the Grievance Commission of Michigan? <laughs> wow. Um, some other things about his case, which has made it difficult for some attorneys to even want to touch it, is because uh, Rob is Caucasian. The victim is African American. All thirteen jurors were African American. So was the judge and two of the five prosecuting attorneys. He wasn't even supposed to have a jury trial. He waived his right to a jury trial and it was accepted by the prosecution and the judge at the time. And then he was supposed to do a bench trial and then Mm -hmm. still somehow ended up with a jury trial. 
And his attorney told his mom, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to work out for your best. Uh, just We're just going to roll with this. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So um, he was 20 when he was convicted. He'll be 50 in October. Um, he's tried to do every appeal. He's tried to, I mean, we realistically have tried to do everything. Um, the judge who took, so Robert Evans was his original judge. The judge who took Mr. Evans' spot when he retired was his daughter, Bonda wow. Evans. Wow. So any appeal that went in front of her was automatically just vetoed, stamped. Um, and I mean, those are just a few of the, I want to say small things, but they're not really small things. Yeah. That shows, I mean, the physical evidence, the medical examiner's report proves he didn't do it. Uh, there's no close range firing there, but there are two sets of statements. Rob didn't sign any of them. Uh, first statement said he didn't do it. The second statement said he did do it. And back then um, they were handwritten by the officer. So it's not like they were typed up. There's only one officer in the room. Nobody really knows what's going on, right? They were using jailhouse snitches to coerce people back then to give like false admittance they keep you for 48 hours, no food, no water. You can't make a phone call. Your parents don't know where you're at. You're 20 years old. Oh, you're not really arrested, but you can't leave type of deal that was going on in Michigan. And I think I sent like um, links for like uh, articles that I found about back then too. Mm -hmm. And it's all around the same time because it was 94 back then. So it's, um, it's, it's a different world now. Yeah, it is. So, uh, in some of these pictures, you have uh, apparel on that says the sentencing project. What is that, and what do you have to do with them, and what do they do? Um, so, the sentencing project—they uh, are actually trying to help with um, the rehabilitation and ending mass incarceration here in the state of Michigan and realistically everywhere. And you know, they—they're out there screaming, and they—they do um, statistics, and they for everybody to see like, Hey, listen, it doesn't matter what X, Y, and Z says. Here are the stats that show you there are 12 to 1800 wrongfully convicted individuals in the state of Michigan right now. Wow. And we, they don't try to just touch on who's on the inside. They try to explain to you how it affects you on the yeah. outside. Yeah. You know, you're paying for these individuals. You, these people have families. They were children, their husbands, mothers, sisters, brothers, wives. You, you, they're real people who have real emotions and real feelings. They're not just a dog that you can throw into a cage for the rest of their life. And a lot of people will say, well, Michigan doesn't have a death penalty. Well, yes, it does. It's life without parole. It's slow yeah. and it's torturous. Yeah. So you're not going to get an injection that's going to kill you. You just have to rot in a cell for your entire life. Right. And if you're wrongfully convicted and you didn't do the crime, well, you become a criminal on the inside because you yeah. have to survive. It's true. That is so true. So there's, um, there's a group of us here. I'm going to stand up really quick. And we were named by um, Thomas Harold. He does a podcast. It's called the Freebie Podcast. He did some time too. And we are, you know, the <laughs> housewives of Michigan's wrongfully yeah. convicted. He named us and we do, I mean, we're part of the rallies and we, you know, we are a mix of, there's five of us and the majority of their, of the guys are in there, their life without parole for a, a murder. And there's solid proof that they didn't do what they said that they were going to do. 
And we're just, we're not afraid to scream and yell. And we're not afraid to get up on, you know, Lansing steps and say, what you're doing is wrong. And why won't you come out here and talk to us about this? Why are they dollar signs to you? Because that's all they are. It's like a cash cow. It's legalized slavery. Yeah. Yep. What gives you the right to take a human life, throw it in a cage, say, you did this when I know you didn't do it so I can make money. It's disgusting. Sorry. No, you're right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm looking at a um, the uh, University of Michigan law uh, stat sheet that lists all the exonerations in the United States, and they list them by state. And there's yeah. been there's been 148. I don't know when this stat sheet was put out. Let's see, it doesn't have a date on it, but uh, it says 148 exonerations, total years lost 1,554. Average years lost per exoneration is almost 11. And, and I'm just like, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's really crazy how there can be so many exonerations. I think these are since night, since 1989. Uh, It says by, by the state since 1989. Uh, Oh, it says uh, date data uh, updated as of May 3rd, 2022. So, so it's pretty recent. So, and if you look like on the national exoneration list, like it has it by list, you'll see people's names on there who will say that they're exonerated, but they're not really exonerated. Um, You know, they were exonerated with prejudice because with the $50,000 a year, the state's in debt. And so what they're doing now is they're saying, okay, Jennifer, we know that you didn't kill that woman, but it's been 20-ish years and there's some evidence that's missing. And, you know, there's some eyewitnesses that have passed away. So this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to retry you at a new charge. We're going to give you time served. Wow. And we're going to let you go home. Wow. Or you can go back to your cell and we'll get to you when we can get to you. Yeah. And that's... I- yeah, I, and I believe uh, exactly what you said. I believe is the reason um, Texas is so slow on on the exonerations because Texas has a uh, decent compensation, but I, I mean I don't believe any compensation is enough. Uh, but if they were to let everybody go in Texas who's who's innocent, they would go broke. I, I guarantee you, uh, because it's it's crazy. I mean, we got a guy waiting to come to forgiven felons who. Uh, I mean, it is incredibly, he's done 30, almost 32 years now. He just got denied another parole last year. And, and he got in trouble for, um, they, the, the, the medical examiner labeled his case, a murder homicide. And that was back way back then. And the medical examiner here in Fort Texas, just in the last year or two has been the same one for all these years. And they just wow. noticed that in the five years, last five years, there's been some discrepancies on what he labels a homicide aren't really homicides. And, and so now, you know, he had to, he had to step down, resign, you know, and, and basically they removed him from his position because of all these discrepancies. And he's the same medical examiner that labeled this other one as a, um, as a homicide instead of an accident. And it's crazy how when you connect the dots, things make much sense. They make a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Yeah. But I guess there's just too much. The state of Texas doesn't like to say they're wrong 
at all. Right. And, and I'm assuming that goes that that that's mutual for oh, yeah. all, all the other states. They don't want to admit they got it wrong. If they do admit, they have to be careful because they don't want to bring, you know, retaliation or or, you know, anything to anybody that, you know, might be a different person now than when they were when when they helped a wrongful, you know, conviction right. happen. And um, I don't know. I don't know how to, I mean, all we could do is keep bringing awareness, but, um, and that's what you, that's what you, you do now. Tell us, talk a little bit about the the community of wrongful conviction up there. I saw a video uh, where you were streaming live and you were at a wrongful conviction uh, conference, I guess. We, and- yeah. So we, we do rallies. There's rallies usually like twice a year and um, like we, ba- we band together and there's, I mean, we have speakers that come from all over the place. We have senators who have hopped on the podium and have been like, I absolutely advocate for what you guys have going on here and keep doing what you're doing. Um, like right now, we say baby steps, right? So um, we're trying to, there's the Senate Bill 649 that's going on here right now that we're trying to get passed, which would give good time back because Michigan doesn't have good time. So that targets like the current, like nonviolent offenders, but it would also help with the mass incarceration that's going on here. Um, They're trying to, they're, I mean, trying to push through like so much of what we have. We're trying to get rid of like the mandatory minimums um, because it just seems like that's just how they want to throw it out there. Like, oh, you're being charged with this. And it says that you have to do a minimum of like, you know, 30 years. So, hey, we're just going to give you a 35 and then we're going to flop you. We're going to give you another five when that 35 is up. Um, like with Rob, when he, when he was convicted, life here was 25 years. Yeah. But then in 1998, when the truth and sentencing changed here, life became life. So we hop up there and we say, are you the same person you were when you were 15? Okay. How old are you? You're 50. Okay. Are you the same person that you were when you were 25? Oh, you're not. Okay. Well, would you make the same decisions now that you made when you were 30? Oh, you wouldn't. And scientifically a man's brain isn't fully developed until you turn 25. So how are you? And in Michigan, you have to be 21 to buy a gun. You have to be 21 to buy alcohol. Granted, you have to be 18 to be drafted, but how are you being convicted as an adult when you're 18, 19, and 20 years old when the state law here says technically you're not even an adult until you're 21? And science proves you can't even think as an adult until you're 25. Who are you to do that? Yeah. Yeah. I know in Texas, in Texas, I don't know. we have a law called the law of parties. And so we get a lot of 15 to 17 year old kids convicted based on a law of party. So they're in a group of people, they're in a group of kids with maybe an, an older kid, 18, 19, 20, who actually is the one who commits a crime, maybe a murder, you know, and, but because that kid that actually pulled the trigger names five or six other people that were with him, he gets a lesser sentence and everybody else he gets the lesser sentence for that, that, that murder charge, but everybody else gets a, a murder charge as well. And they're getting 40 years. And the person who gave up the, the other names that were with them that didn't pull the trigger, you know, is getting a 20 year sentence and out in 10, you know, and we had Texas is trying to pass uh, what they call a second look bill, which is that we take a look at these, these, 
kids that were processed as adults when they were 15 to 17 and 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 they, they weren't the ones that actually committed the crime uh but they were given these long sentences 40 50 60 years and you know we, we took in one guy named daniel i mean he was sentenced 60 years for murder and he was just in the group with uh and had no idea that 100 yards away in the woods that their friend was killing this guy and but he did 60 years he did 30 years 32 years altogether he did 30 years in texas prison but he did two years from 15 to 17 in the county jail being certified as an adult and the second look bill in texas is, is is trying to say hey let's take a second look at these guys and they're using the same science that you're talking about and 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 proving proving that you know these guys when they're 15 they're they're more they're more guilty of just hanging around the wrong people. Right. You know what I mean? They're and stupid so, kids. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And so you're making uh, stupid kid decisions. And they're like, not even trying to like get them like set free right then. They're just saying after 20 years instead of 30. So if it's an aggravated case like murder, if you, if you, if you were given 60 years, you got to do 30 before you even come up for parole. So instead of waiting for 30 years to come up to parole, let's take a look at 20 years. Let's take a look at what they've done in that 20 years. Have they been taking classes? Are they bettering themselves? And then instead of adding 10 more years to their life to make them do that full 30 before they're even up for parole, let's take a look at 20, see if they meet parole eligibility, uh, eligibility requirements. Now, if you've just been sitting on your butt in the day room, watching TV, doing nothing, then right. yeah, they're like stay in there, you know, but if you've been trying to better yourself, why not take a second look at this person in this case and see, okay, is he the same person? You know, would he, would he go hang around these same people that he did when he was 15 as a, as a 30, as a, as a 40, 40 year old man. And um, well, I, man, listen, I applaud you for what you're doing. Um, you. I, I applaud you for um, uh, getting involved and, you know, I mean, you had an opportunity to, to walk away and go, you know what? I don't believe this guy, you know, yeah. you had a, you had an opportunity to do that, but you somehow, whether it's a gut feeling, women's intuition, whatever it is, love, you know, who, who knows, but you decided to stick around, do the research, yeah. put in the work and then advocate for this guy. And, and you're not just advocating for him. Now you're advocating for a, for a whole community. And um, I, my, and my kids do it too. So, you know, it's, and it's funny, like, especially that eight, like the mindset of like the 20 to 30 year olds who, um, I want to say, I don't want to say that they're led, but they listen to what other people say instead of forming their own opinion. Right. And my daughter has been on social media and she has cussed people out. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm like, babe, you calm down. It's okay. Like, don't, you don't need to be a Facebook gangster. Like bring it down a couple of notches. They don't understand the more you yell about it. Like, you are angry about it, the less people listen. Yeah. And so you have to bring the statistics to them and say, hey, so her and I sat down one day and we were talking about the COVID situation because Rob and I were in an Associated Press article about how COVID hit Ken Ross, where he was at and how the state infected the inmates on purpose. And I sat down and I said, these are the things that you need to tell them. You need to show them pictures that you know there are in the chow hall. That's why Michigan isn't allowing phone phones in there because there's a picture that's all over the internet that says not for human consumption. Somebody walked into the chow hall and took a picture of the meat that they were serving the guys mm. and the stamp on it said not for human consumption. Who knows what it was? 
nobody knows, but that, and that picture is still floating around. You have to show them why you're right or not even show them that you're right, show them how it really is and let them form their own opinion. Right. And so what we started to do was we realized that it's not just about you. It's not just about me. Other people are, are affected by the situation. So when the COVID hit Kinross, I sat down and I started talking to people about, okay, you think that this inmate deserves to die, or you think that this inmate deserves to get COVID and they deserve to get sick and they don't, they, they can't eat and they don't have the medicine because you lost your grandmother, your brother, or you got it. What about the workers? What about the corrections officers? What about people who are working in the administration office? Do they deserve to get sick too? Because that's what's happening. And then they're taking it home to their children, their grandchildren, and the community. And now you wonder why everybody's sick. So do those people deserve to get sick too because that's their place of employment? Oh, they don't? Okay, so what makes them different? One is convicted and one's not. Okay, do you really know that that person is convicted? How do you know that they did what the law said that they did? Let's let's break this down. And that's when people actually started to listen to what we had to say because we weren't screaming about the guys and the women who are locked up anymore. We were screaming about the community in general because what the state was doing was absolutely wrong. So, so if, uh, if somebody wants to get involved with what you're doing, how would they, how would they start out doing that? Maybe there's somebody out here that has, that is dating an inmate that maintains their innocence. What, what advice would you give for them? Uh, you know, what, if somebody wants to get involved that maybe doesn't have skin in the game, but just wants to help, you know, what would you recommend, uh, them something locally for Michigan, obviously, but, you know, just something in general. Uh, in, in anybody else's state? Um, I would honestly say you need to join some groups. You need to do the research on what it is that you really want to do so that you understand the laws and what's happening. And if there are any laws in progress that can change what it is that you're advocating for. Um, I get a lot of messages. I get them on Twitter. I get them on Facebook. I even get them on Instagram. Like, hey, I see that you're doing these things. My dad, my uncle, my brother, my sister are either locked up or they were locked up or they even passed away and we know that they didn't do what they said that they were that they said that they did or I know that it wasn't them they were there when the crime was committed but they should have never had to do 45 years right can you help me and I will even in other states I'm like okay so you need to contact this person you need to contact the prison if it's something that's going on in there you need to make sure that everything is in electronic communication because if it's not in electronic communication it didn't happen and you can't prove the conversation happened ever i have a file i actually had to make another gmail account because i have so many emails from all of the time that i have to send them out for rob because of the craziness that happens on the inside yeah um and if you're in michigan call me you can hit me up on my social media. I am more than happy to help you and scream for you. I have, um, when we do the rallies, I have posters for friends of mine whose children who are incarcerated and they either are over-sentenced or they're wrongfully convicted. And they say, John, I didn't, I, how, how do you, what did you do? I said, I just jumped in head first. Just so is there, a, is there a website where they can see these, where these rallies are? and, and when, um, Most place? of them are posted in like the Michigan riders groups. So on okay. Facebook and they'll put them out there. We post them on Twitter. Um, so if anybody has any questions, they can find me on social media and I'll direct them. Like, Hey, this group is probably going to be best for you or that group is going to be best for you. Um, 
I have a, actually a federal group, a friend of mine, her name is Chrissy Rogers, who she's in California um, and her husband is doing federal time. And her website, uh, the Facebook group is called Love Your Inmate. So I'm even involved in some of the groups who have federal stuff going on. And there are state people who are in there too, but knowing the difference between how they're treated in federal and how they're treated in state is something that you need to know too, because yep. not all of the terms are the same. Nope. And, True. You, you know, visiting isn't the same and, you know, the policies and directives aren't the same. So when you don't know where to go, you kind of sit around and you're hopeless. And honestly, like I just went in blind and I just started like, <laughs> like emailing people and trying to find out what was going on. And that's how I connected with the friends of mine. Like my friend, Paula, her fiance, uh, Temujin, he's 34 years hmm. um, on a wrongful conviction. The prosecutor in his case hypnotized a witness on the stand. They convinced a jury that he flew a plane from the UP, landed it in Detroit, killed the guy and flew it back. He doesn't have a pilot's license. There's no paperwork that proves that there was a plane that was taken. And there are people who can say where he was at at the time of the murder, 900 miles away. The Supreme Court has even looked at it and been like, this guy is innocent. But he still sits in Michigan prison. Yeah, so hard to undo. So hard to undo. Somewhere, some somebody powerful has has a, has a hold on that case. And, and that's, why, that's why it's so hard to undo. Uh, if you could change one thing about our criminal justice system, what would it be? And, and you know, like if, if, some, if president came to you, anybody in power came to you and said, we're going to give the power to you to change one thing in our criminal justice system today, what would that be? Oh my gosh. That's, I know there's a lot of such, things that need to be changed. That's such a hard but question. What, what would, but what would, what would be your priority? Um, Obviously, the wrongful conviction would be my priority, right? Because um, Rob deserves to come home. Um, I believe that if it's proven that there is a medical examiner, a ballistics guy, an officer, if it's proven that they have lied in other cases, every case that that person touched needs to be reopened and looked at. The prosecution files that magically disappear need to be brought from whatever storage unit you have them in. Yeah. And they need to be looked at by other parties than people who were involved, maybe even other states. That's good. You know, because if you did it, it's not the first time you got caught. If you did it on one case, you've done it on multiple. That's, that's you being a bad person, a bad human being and not caring about human lives. So if it's proven that I did that, absolutely. I should, and I should pay time. I should go to, to prison for it. I absolutely I agree. should pay I agree the consequences. Yeah. All right. So uh, last thing we, sure. we have a lot of, we have a lot of, um, there might be somebody in your position that is sitting out there listening to this, that uh, is dating somebody in prison that maintains their innocent innocence, uh, give them hope and give them encouragement. And also uh, there are some other, lots of innocent people sitting in prison that are wondering, um, you know, if, if everything, anything is ever going to turn around in their case. Uh, speak to them and give both both sets, the people outside and inside prison, uh, just some encouragement and hope. So if you're on the outside, don't be afraid to open your mouth 
Stop caring what people think about you. Stop worrying about what someone is going to say about you. Because if you truly believe and you have done the research and you know that your significant other is innocent, the only thing, the only, the one thing that will get them home is you opening your mouth. Is you educating people about what is right and what is wrong and not listen. I'm, I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps. Like I'm just, you have to talk to the media. I don't care if it's the local media, if it's the national media, you have to tell them and show them what is really going on. That's the only thing that's going to bring your man, your woman, your dad, your mom, your sister, your brother, what bring them home. It's the only thing that's going to bring them home. That's good. How, here's a, I got a megaphone. You can have it. Borrow it. I'll go get another one. <laughs> you know, right, we're, we're gonna we're gonna put all your uh, social media links in the in the show notes. But just real quick, tell us where where people can follow you at. Okay, so um, you can find me. Uh, it's Jennifer Gross. I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's Jennifer Gross at your realtor on Instagram. Um, it's the same for TikTok. You can come and talk to me. I have no problem talking to anybody. And honestly, with me being a real estate agent, my phone number's out there. You you can put my phone number in the links too. Call me, shoot me a text message. I am more than happy to talk to you and it, because it's a hopeless situation. And for yeah. those on the inside, don't don't give up hope. Don't yeah. think that your life is over because it's not, it, it truly isn't. We're out here and we're, it, it's a slow moving process, but we are screaming for you because we want you to come home as much as you want to come home. That's so good. That is so good. Well, I, for one, appreciate all you do for uh, not only Robert, but for the whole community of wrongful conviction up there uh, where you live. I appreciate that because again, I, I do believe there's a lot of them sitting in prison uh, even ones that know they're innocent, but just have given up hope and not even trying anymore. You know, I know, I know there's some, some like that because they, they believe that they don't have an innocence project that'll take their case. They don't have somebody on the outside that believes them anyway. And so they just sit there and, but you know, me being in prison, I have the perspective of talking to them face to face, seeing them eye to eye and knowing, golly, this dude sounds like he's innocent, you know? And, um, but, but they've given up hope because there's right. nobody to help them. And so, right. so thank you for, for what you do. And, and, uh, we're going to be keeping, uh, Robert in that whole situation in, uh, in our prayers. And hopefully one day you can give us an update that, uh, is the best news ever. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I think that you are amazing. And, you know, um, I know that you're in Texas, but if you ever need any help or you're ever doing anything, I'll be more than happy to fly down there and help you do whatever it is that you need to do, because it's not just here in Michigan, it's everywhere. And everybody deserves a little bit of love. Seriously. Amen. Amen. Jennifer, thanks for coming on the show and letting us do a background check on you. Absolutely. You, Have you a great passed. day. You passed. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. Talk about passion. Uh, could you hear it in her voice? I mean, we probably could have talked for two or three hours about her passion for seeing the wrongfully convicted get the justice they deserve. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much, Jennifer, for hanging out with us and let us do a background check on you. Um, man, listen, don't ever give a hope. Don't ever give up hope. You know, I, I, there's a there's a ton of people in prison. And, you know, if you go back and listen to the second episode with Richard Miles, you know, he talks about how, you know, the best guesses that, um, you know, these 
organizations that that work with wrongfully convicted can estimate is that 10%, 10% of everyone in the United States who's incarcerated, 10% are wrongfully convicted. You know, we got over 2 million, so that's 200,000. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but man, what if that was one, what if, what if one of those 200,000 was your family member? You know, I, we got, we got a former resident, you know, Joe Cortez, he could never get the attention of a innocence project while he was in prison for 25 years. He, 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 he was doing everything himself and now he's got the attention. He was so excited. He texted me and he was so excited that he got the attention of the, you know, the, uh, I guess appeals court or whatever. And he's doing it all by himself, by hand. And man, there's just a, it's, it's crazy to think how many people are locked up. 200,000, that's more people than most of the towns and cities in, in the state. You know, that's more than the three, three suburbs here that I live near. That's how many people could be in prison innocent. You know, Brian Stevenson of Equal Justice Initiative says one in nine people that we execute on death row are innocent. That's crazy, man. Where's the pro-lifers, you know? Anyway, but um, man, what a story, huh? What a story goes from dating dating his friend to uh, then becoming engaged to, to him, Rob, and uh, it's, it's good. It's cool, man. I'm 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 believing that the truth is going to manifest, but man, it does. She's right. Forty five minutes to, or less to uh, convict somebody falsely, wrongfully, and but it takes almost a you know seems like a lifetime. Ben Spencer is still waiting to be fully exonerated here in Dallas, you know, but, uh, I'm believing for Rob and, um, anyway, let's, well, let's lift, let's lift them up in prayer. Father in Jesus name. I thank you for, uh, Jennifer. I thank you for Rob. I thank you for their relationship. I thank you that, that you are going to open doors. You're going to knock down walls. You're going to do whatever needs to be done in Rob's case for the truth to be made known to be for it to be clear and evident so that they can move forward with his his, his innocence uh, and his, and his uh, exoneration. Father, I thank you for somebody like Jennifer who says, you know what, I see this, and I'm not going to stop and give up until justice is, is, is served. So, Lord, thank you for people in our lives that you put to help us carry a load, fight a battle, that, that can see things that maybe other people can't. Thank you, Lord. God, let them put them in front of the right people. Lord, I, I lift up the whole advocacy group that she works with up there, that community of of uh, families and loved ones and friends that advocate for innocence being being proven. And I lift them up to you, Lord. Open new doors for them. And uh, Lord, just give uh, Jennifer everything she needs and Rob for this next chapter season of their life. Let all of Jennifer's businesses thrive and just give her strength and endurance for the race. And Lord, we pray for everybody listening to this podcast. Lord, we thank you for, uh, we lift up the guys at the Kyle unit. Lord, give them uh, strength for their next chapter and their journey, the ones that are getting out. Lord, we pray that they get they get out outside wreck soon in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift up everyone that's uh, going through a, a, a journey with a wrongfully convicted loved one or friend. We pray you give them hope for the journey as well. 
the tools they need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you all so much. Next week, Father's Day episode. Don't miss it. Go back and listen to last year's Father's Day episode. It was epic as well. So uh, share the share the, share the the love. Tell everybody you can about this. If you want to leave a review on Apple, it's the only way to leave a review. Do it. That's fine. And, and I would love that actually helps our show. But I would rather you share the show with somebody. If you're only going to do one of those two things, both are best. Share the show and and leave a review on Apple. But um, if, if, you, if you can't, just share the show. That's all. All right. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.